The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, Houston. Con's prices are invincible. That means prices have been cut low, as in amazingly low, as in won't be beat. In fact, we're backing it up with our low price guarantee. Invincible prices on appliances, furniture, electronics, mattresses, and more. Not invincible enough for you? How about free next day delivery on appliances, TVs, and mattresses? And payment options for everyone, whether you have good credit or building. Visit Cons today and find out what invincible feels like. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Zach on Film. I am, of course, Zach. A little bit of a show difference this week. As you can probably already tell, it is just me this week. We had some scheduling conflicts, uh, and then some of my equipment wasn't working from my home. Thus, I am doing the show on solo this week. But don't worry, we're going to give you a, you know just a quick little dab of Zach on Film to get you through the holiday Week and then we will be back next week talking about Beast of No Nation, the Netflix exclusive film uh, that came out last October, uh, last month in October, starring Idris Elba. Uh, we'll be talking about that next week. But this week, I have a couple things to talk to you about. Uh, first off, last week, Hunger Games: Mockingjay Part Two released into theaters, and guess what? I went and watched it. I don't know if you guys know, I have a, a, a deep, deep love for the Hunger Games book series. I, uh, it's, one of my, it's one of my great hipster, horrible moments, really, where I never wanted to read them because everyone was reading them. They're like, oh, they're so good. And they're so cool. I'm like, oh, good child, child's, child's trash. I didn't, I didn't read them. Uh, and then I finally saw a trailer for the Catching Fire movie. And then I read all three books before Catching Fire came out. Uh, and I love them. They have a, a, a deep, deep place in my heart. So knowing that, I walked to the Mockingjay Part 2 opening night. Uh, and uh, I'm not going to spoil anything for the film. I don't want to do that in case you guys haven't gone out and watched uh, Part 2. The ending of the four-part film adaptation of a book trilogy. The common thing that Hollywood does now, take three books, stretch them into four, or take what, six books, no, seven books, stretch them into eight Take one book, stretch it into three. Good job, Peter Jackson. You win the Hollywood Trophy this year. Uh, so, you know, Mockingjay Part 2 picks up right where Part 1 left off, which is what I really liked about Part 1 and 2, where Part 1 picked up right after uh, Movie 2, Catching Fire. Part 2 picks up right after uh, Mockingjay Part 1, which almost like they could have been one giant five-hour film, but thankfully they spared us and split it into two. But of course, uh, watching this, I can't help but wonder, where's the script where it was just Mockingjay, one movie, uh, they cut everything down into, you know, a two, a solid two hours, 20 minutes, two hours and 30 minutes. Uh, I, I would love to just to get, get a read through of that script to see what they would leave in and what they would take out, because 
what I loved about part one and part two of Mockingjay is that I thought they captured a lot of what I loved about the books. And that it was, it was not the series that I think people wanted. I don't think Hunger Games as a whole is this, this film franchise that people expected, especially coming out of movie one and somewhat movie two. I don't think as a whole it was this action-packed, young kid-oriented film or film series, but it was really this kind of sophisticated, under-the-radar political movie wrapped around uh, a few action scenes. Because if you watch Mocking, the, the Mockingjay films, the action is pretty sparse. It's limited at best. And um, I think it's used well, but there's not a lot of it. And I think one of the biggest uh, things you could say about this last two uh, films for the series is that they're actually kind of slow. Uh, while I enjoy that they ventured into this kind of political idea, which the books are heavily on, I do think they stretched them out too far to kind of make to justify the two parts of the film where they could have tightened up the editing a bit and cut a few scenes or cut them down a little bit tighter and saved about 15, 20 minutes off each film. And I think that would have been better overall. I think they drag in certain spots, especially in the middle. Uh, and I think it hurts the emotional buildup, especially in this one. I think there is a huge emotional scene at the end that is uh, big and uh, climactic in the books, but I think it really gets brushed over. And I was bracing for for the waterworks to start running towards the end of the film, but they didn't come because the movie just didn't give me what I wanted. It didn't pay off in the way that I expected it to with such a, you know, a huge, uh, I'll say death. And it was a death. Everything, everyone dies. And that's when we cry in TV shows, movies. Now, uh, there's a death in the end of this movie that, uh, is very emotional, but it got glossed over really quick. Just bang, bang, boom. Uh, let's move on to other things. Uh, so, you know, I think a lot of people did not like book three of the Hunger Games trilogy. Uh, I personally did. People had some issues with the way it ended. I personally loved it. And uh, it hit on that in this movie. And that's why I liked it. I do not think these these last two specifically are the best films. I think this this kind of came in around the high 60s, maybe it bumped up to low 70s. And the Rotten Tomato part two did. I think that's justified. I think... That is where this movie sits. I don't think it's in the 80s. I don't certainly don't think it's up the 90s with Catching Fire, which to me I hold as the gold sand standard for book adaptations. I think it's the best book adaptation I've ever seen. I also think it's one of the best sequels I've ever seen. Uh, that movie was uh, phenomenal, and I don't think it was possible for them to follow it up. So to kind of hold it to that standard uh, was, is a little too hard. Uh, so while I love this movie, I think there's certainly some flaws in it, and I don't think it is the best. Uh, just some other quick uh, notes about the film. This will be, I believe, the last new film that we will see Philip Seymour Hoffman act in. He uh, passed away towards the very ending of filming this uh, this movie, and specifically this part of of of, of the series of films. And there are some digital body doubles in this. And you can kind of tell, I believe they're towards the end, where you can kind of tell. Uh, one, he kind of just drops out of the story. And then at the end, when he comes in, there's just something a little glossy about his skin that I think that is where uh, the body doubles for Philip Seymour Hoffman came in. Uh, he his, his part as Plutarch in this series has been great. It's been wonderful. He brought his... 
a great sense of character acting throughout this film. Uh, he was perfect for it. It made me so happy when I uh, saw that he was cast in that role and so very, very sad when I learned of his passing. Uh, so that's my review of Mockingjay Part 2. If you're into the series, absolutely go watch it and finish finish the storyline. Uh, but I don't think it's the best. I think it, it's a good. I think it's worth a watch, especially if you're a fan of the series. All right, so I'm going to do just a, a, you know, a quick little news roundup. It's really only one story, and then I'm going to look at some box office past numbers of Thanksgiving of yesteryear. First, I was scrolling through my RSS feeds of movie news websites. I saw an interesting article come up from Variety, and it is titled Harvey Weinstein to release fewer indie films. So the gist of this is the studio that brought you the darling gems of Clerks, Pulp Fiction, uh, Silver Lightning's Playbook, and of course, no, don't forget, Scary Movie 4 uh, is going to be reducing their output of films starting next year in 2016. Uh, some people said this doesn't come as too much of a shock as the Weinstein company had suffered a few big box office misses this year, including uh, that Bradley Cooper starring Burnt film, uh, which when I checked over on Box Office Mojo, it didn't even make back its $20 million budget with its domestic numbers, which only scored a little over $13 million domestically here. Uh, the company also faced layoffs in a failed sale of TV division to Britain's ITV, British television company over there, which is interesting to note because the article goes on to say that Weinstein Company is currently making about 30% of their revenue from their TV division, uh, so now that they're scaling back on the releases, uh, estimates have said that currently Weinstein Company is putting about 18 films a year uh, from the studio, but now they're going to look down to 8 or 10. Uh, in that reduction, they're actually going to be focusing more on their television unit because uh, it did bring in uh, that large percentage of revenue for them. Uh, the article also stated that Weinstein Company will now will kind of move away from acquiring its films through the uh, festival circuit, which is kind of known for. I mean, that's where it picked up clerks. We've heard uh, Kevin Smith talked about it. That's where he got picked up about Sundance in Utah. Uh, instead, Weinstein is going to be looking to develop projects from the script up. They're going to have a total control over the, every aspect of the project to make sure, I'm going to guess, that has their flair and touch and know what they want to try to make that big bang for the buck when they finally release it out into the theaters. Uh, now, so, uh, the big release, of course, you know, uh, Quentin Tarantino, I think is the Weinstein darling. I think he, I'm going to, I haven't heard too much of what their relationship is, but I'm going to guess this guy, uh, gets what he wants from the Weinsteins. Uh, I'm going to guess they're going to be crossing their fingers, uh, coming up in December when Tarantino releases his, uh, next Western film, uh, Tarantino's The Hateful Eight, which is actually releasing December day, December 25th. Uh, according to Variety, it's got about a reported budget of $62 million. So definitely want to look, making to, uh, looking to make that back, uh, in this last month of 2015, rolling into 2016. Uh, you know, you gotta expect this film to get some Oscar buzz. I think Django was nominated for Best Director, Best Script, Best Picture in 2012. Uh, I think, we're probably, I don't, I mean, you just have to assume that if it's Tarantino, he's got an, a good shot of getting one of those noms in there. 
and a good Oscar boost should definitely help the box office there. Uh, looking back at Tarantino's last film, Django Unchained, uh, that brought in $425 million worldwide and reported a $100 million budget. So Hateful Eight going to be uh, not costing as much money to the, the Weinsteins. Uh, I think when it gets us bet because they shot mostly up in Telluride in kind of one cabin, it seems like. So that kind of limits uh, the money having to be spent on traveling and putting up crew in different places all the time. Of course, you know, The Hateful Eight is going to be up some stiff competition for the box office because a week before that, J.J. Abrams, Disney, Star Wars, The Force Awakened will be releasing uh, the week before The Hateful Eight uh, uh, comes into theaters. And you have to assume that it's going to dominate the box office. Uh, I believe I saw what? Let me scroll back through Variety really quick. The Force Awakens is heading for a massive $170 million plus opening weekend. Uh, so, I mean, they've already crushed sales with pre-sales and IMAX and uh, just regular theaters like that. They are going to win the box office holiday weekend, even with The Hateful Eight coming out. There's no doubt about it. I wouldn't be surprised to do another 100 plus million dollar weekend that, especially because you're going to have families heading out to the theater for that, uh, you know, the family tradition of going to the, th- the movie theater on Christmas Day, which I didn't actually know was a thing, really, until I did Christmas with my uh, mom and stepdad down in Arizona. And we went and watched the very uh, family-friendly film, uh, The Wolf on Wall Street. So that's how we spent our Christmas afternoon, just uh, watching... <laughs> uh, just some, you know, some bankers smart, some coke, I have some hookers butts. So, uh, you know, for Christmas, fun for all. Uh, back to Hateful Eight. I think they're good, they have a good shot at making their budget back, especially domestically. Uh, regardless of Star Wars, I think Tarantino has a following. Uh, oddly enough, I'm gonna guess the audience that is, is Tarantino crosses over heavily with Star Wars, mainly because everyone in the world watches Star Wars. But I'm going to guess there's definitely some crossover there. Um, but Tarantino, you got to assume he's going to make his money back. I don't know if his film has ever lost any money, even if going against stiff competition. I believe uh, when Django released, it released the same time as uh, Les Mis in theaters. And two weeks before Django, the first installment of the Hobbit trilogy released, which was a pretty big movie as well. And it fared fine in the theaters. So I think... Uh, the Weinsteins should not be worried about the box office run of Hateful Eight and the slightest. But, you know, it is going to be sad to see uh, the Weinsteins taking a step back and not releasing as many films throughout the year. They've always been known to release films that have Oscar contention. They were, you know, they were behind the artist. The Silver Linings Playbook won a lot of Oscars when it came out. Um, of course, uh, Pulp Fiction, I guess, I can't remember if it won an Oscar or if it was just over in the, the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, but, you know, they're always releasing films that are up in the awards. So uh, you have to assume they're not going to back away from those. They're going to be making more high-quality films. Of course, that's all speculative and uh, to taste of what, <laughs> what you consider a high-quality film. Uh, speaking of families going out to the theater on a holiday weekend thanksgiving is this week in america and people will be flocking to the theaters uh pixar will be releasing the good dinosaur which i am super duper duper excited about because of course uh pixar you can't go wrong with that so i decided to give a a look 
let's see, a, a, you know, a look back in time about the best Thanksgiving uh, openings for films. You know, holidays, you think people are free, kids are out of school, take them to the theater, entertain them for a couple hours. You think they would do pretty well. And I think statistically they do just fine. I went over to Box Service Mojo right now, looking at it right this moment. Thanksgiving weekends from 1982 to the present. Looking at three-day openings. This is not all movies, because if you do that, excuse it, because it brings in movies released around the same time. I'm talking holiday openings. Number one, just a couple years ago, Frozen. Actually, <laughs> believe it or not, Disney destroys in this category. I, I never realized that they release so many movies on this uh, this holiday weekend. Uh, number one is Frozen. Number two is Toy Story 2. Uh, Frozen brought in $67 million on the opening. Toy Story 2, a whole $10 million less at 57 And then Tangled, Enchanted. And then number five, throwing it back all the way to 1996. Oh, yeah, we're talking straight-up animation. 101 Dalmatians brought in $33 million. And then A Bug's Life. And then finally, finally, at that point, do we get a Warner Brothers film with four Christmases, which... Wasn't that the, um, yeah, the Vince Vaughn, Reese Witherspoon flick? Uh, that's not a bad film. I've watched it a couple of times. Pretty good, pretty good. Uh, you know, then we're back to Buena Vista, uh, Unbreakable, and then The Muppets, Toy Story number one, coming in at 29 million at number 10. Uh, oh, look at this. Jumping back to the 80s, Back to the Future, part two, comes in, in at 11. Uh, making $27 million on its three-day opening weekend over Thanksgiving. Uh, just just uh, scrolling through really quick to see if anything stands out as significant. Aladdin, another uh, Disney, came in at 24 with $19 million. Um, nothing much after that. There hasn't been a, you know, a great deal of movies greatly released over the Thanksgiving holiday weekend. Uh, if you look at all-day movies for three, or all movies over the three-day stretch of thanksgiving uh catching fire from the hunger games films actually tops number one then frozen then harry potter sorcerer stone toy Story 2 jumps in at four and then the hunger games part one mocking jay in number five uh those those three films obviously uh released the week or two before thanksgiving but then had a big jump there due to the holiday so you know holidays good for the theaters it's going to be interesting how the holiday box office plays out this Christmas, there's a lot of big films releasing, but of course, none bigger than Star Wars Force Awakens. I just don't fathom the amount of money that the Disney execs and shareholders are going to roll in, literally roll in, uh, when that film finally releases. So that's all I have for you this week. Uh, a little short, truncated episode of Zach on Film. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy your holiday weekend. But if you have some spare time... Head over to MajorSpoilers.com. You can find some news and all those goodies and podcasts that you enjoy. You can find the Zach on Film podcast posting page. This very episode will be posted right there if you're not listening there already. Jump down to the comments. You can give your thoughts and reactions. Maybe you went and saw Walking J Part 2 and you have some reactions on that. Leave them right in the comments. I'll, of course, read them. Try to reply as swiftly as I can. Uh, while you are there, you can also click on Amazon.com shopping link. It's going to be Black Friday when this when this episode comes out. And then Cyber Monday. You know, Amazon's going to be releasing crazy deals all weekend and next week. Don't miss out on helping major spoilers by using that link. Shop to your heart's content. It won't cost you any extra by using that link. But a little bit will come back to major spoilers to help keep this pop 
culture, conglomerate, rolling. It's not like conglomerate, it's just a company. But it sounds better if you say conglomerate. That's it for this week's episode of Zach on Film. We'll see you next week with Beast of No Nation. is copyright 2015 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.